0: Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols, here on part of the Libertarian. We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BNicholsLiberty or on Facebook at BNicholsLiberty. And as always on Patreon at BNicholsLiberty. Today, got a special show. We're going back um, to my Libertarian Republic uh, days when I was on the Around the Republic podcast, uh, going into the interview series. And today we have a special guest um, you might know him from his uh, awesome Twitter. Uh, you can follow him at uh, Dean Clancy. We have Dean Clancy in the line. Dean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. Awesome. Dean, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time on this beautiful uh, Saturday morning from uh, down in Florida to join us and uh, hopefully we'll have a nice fun-filled discussion here that'll be insightful so actually i'll, I'll kind of go through uh, the uh, the podcast here and and who we are um not only for you dean but for our new listeners who are listening today so who are we at the libertarian are the the we are libertarians network and also the brian nichols show so yes we are going to have a libertarian bias but really we're for anyone who is across the entire political spectrum I have people who are listening who are diehard communists and socialists, all the way to those who are you know, diehard anarchists, or anarchists and, and libertarians. Um, we, we don't really care who they are in terms of their political ideologies. The main goal is that we're trying to present uh, news and information in an objective manner to really help uh, three things, educate, enlighten, and inform. And that's why I wanted to have uh, you, Dean, join us today because you definitely have a lot of experience in terms of uh, all three of those, in terms of educating, enlightening, and informing people, not only through your, your pretty awesome uh, Twitter handle you have there because I've been following you for quite a while now and you have a lot of uh, great information, um, but also you have a, a wealth of, of experience, not only in politics, but in terms Terms of uh, you know being an advisor, so let's just kind of run through really briefly who you are, Dean. Um, I know you you have been working f- in government for I would say what thirty plus years, um, not only in the House Representatives, um, but also you were a policy advisor for uh, the Bush White House um, with their Council for Bioethics. Um, you know, former Vice President of Freedom Works, uh, and you are now currently a partner at Adams Ald LLC. And I, I was checking out your website. I love the the tagline you have. There are no simple answers. I'm mean, going to say there are simple answers, just no easy ones. Um, so, Dean, I mean, that, I think that's, that pretty much that sums up where we are right now in 2018. Um, so, I mean, really quick, I just wanted to you know, shoot over to you sure. and kind of give us your perspective of where we are as a country in 2018 with, with Republicans, with Democrats, with liberals, conservatives, libertarians, socialists, like – where are we How do we go forward and try to, to salvage what we have as a nation to at least try to come together at some point?
1: Wow, well, thank you, thank you, Brian. <laughs> it's a real yeah, it's a real pleasure uh, to be on and, and, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed that introduction. I could have listened all day, and um, uh, I, yeah, I think it was a little less than 30 years uh, in Washington, but it, it felt like 50 and um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, White House, Congress, all that stuff, uh you get a little bit jaded and it's tough for an optimist like me cuz I I just want to expand liberty and uh make America better, happier, more prosperous. And um it's very hard to get anything done in Washington. So, it's frustrating, but I I plug along uh in my policy consultancy nowadays and um uh, in social media, as, as you picked up on, and I follow you on Twitter as well, and enjoy that very much. And um, so you asked about where we are as a country. Boy, I think we're in a mess. Um, but there's always hope. Um, we're, we're a divided country. There's the news this week about 13 Russians being indicted for meddling uh, in American social media with the hope of you know, stirring us up against each other and uh, causing us to lose confidence in our democracy and so on. And, um, you know, uh, my feeling is that's kind of going to happen in a democracy. I think it certainly shows that the Russians are not our friends. But, um, you know, there's a lot of countries that aren't our friends. The question is, um, can we do things that uh, make sure that we are in fact a strong, you know, people and democracy um, and also pursue peaceful uh, relations with everybody around the world. And um, in terms of libertarians and conservatives and liberals and socialists, I think that, uh, I think that the conservative side of the spectrum is very divided and, and frankly demoralized at the moment. Uh, you have a man in the White House, Donald Trump, who is by no means a libertarian. Not even a conservative, except on some things. at least not he's not a fiscal conservative. And that's, uh, that's some place I spend a lot of my time is looking at uh, the fiscal questions, the massive national debt, and uh, you know, the prospects for our economy as a result of federal spending and taxation and regulation. And the fact is, conservatives, you know, they just passed a budget in Congress that doesn't balance, doesn't even try to balance. Uh, our national debt will go from $20 trillion today to about $30 trillion in 10 years, and that's using the rosy scenario of the president's budget, which assumes 5% a year economic growth throughout that period. We've been at 1% growth or something, two, maybe 2% in the last seven years since the um, recession. How are we going to get to 5%? Well, not with the policies we're pursuing now. I mean, not even with the president's uh, wonderful tax cut. And I really do like the fact that he cut the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21%. He wanted to cut it further, and and so would I. And, and you know, they got what they could get done. Um, otherwise, that tax bill, although it had many good things in it, I wouldn't say it was revolutionary, and I don't think it's going to lead to 5% a year economic growth. So that's the conservative side of the spectrum. And then real quickly on the left, I— I, I can't make heads or tails of them. You know, they they think Trump is I don't know the devil incarnate, and they they Bernie Sanders is their hero, and they they're committed to uh, what I call post office medical care for everybody. You know, we can all be in the the healthcare equivalent of the DMV, and but they believe in it and they love it and they you know they have no solutions, but they're really angry. <laughs> so anyway that's my perspective on the spectrum um i'll let you play with that what do you think
0: no absolutely and and i think um that that is a much needed uh you know commentary you just you gave there for both the people on the left and the right because we, we've we really gotten to this dichotomy where you have um you know one camp on the right who they, they can't be wrong in their minds and then on on the left the exact uh polar opposite in terms of they can't be wrong in their minds um, you know, on their yep. views of how we solve the issues or what the actual problems are, and uh, I mean, you just brought up a really great point there, Dean, with regards to the uh, the budget we have going forward. And uh, we had the likes of you know Rand Paul, Justin Amash, and Thomas Massey, and, and I'll, I'll dare say even the likes of Mike Lee, um, who really were right. standing up and saying we we can't cut over a trillion dollars in taxes and in revenue, uh, and then at the same point in time, increase spending by almost a trillion plus. Oh, oh. And it's 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 so heartbreaking as a fiscal conservative to see Republicans who have been standing for we'll we'll say about ten years or so since the Obama administration began in this Tea Party wave who are saying that they're they're fiscal conservatives and all we need is to have the the Congress and the White House and we'll be able to pass fiscally conservative budgets and here we are we're a year and a half into a Donald Trump presidency with both control of the House and the Senate. And we just passed one of the biggest spending increases uh, when you compare it to the tax decreases that we've had, the tax cuts, which don't get me wrong, I'm all for a tax cut. But to all of a sudden see these Republicans who are touting, you know, uh, we're trying to cut the deficits and we're trying to cut spending, completely do a 180 now that they're in control and they have to quote unquote govern. So, I mean, (laughs) with that being said, what would you say to the likes of those I guess I'll, I'll use a very soft air quote, Tea Party Republicans who were elected to be these these budget hawks, who were elected to be these fiscal conservatives, who have now completely done a 180 now that Donald Trump is the president and that now they have to supposedly govern.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful point because I, I thought to myself this week, wow, the Tea Party died this week officially. I mean, I think it had been mm-hmm. moribund for several years, but it really was put in the ground because this budget they just passed didn't even pretend. They just said, let's have a bipartisan deal to increase defense spending and increase welfare spending. Everybody gets, you know, it's, it's a compromise as Washington sees it. And <laughs> the poor taxpayer is the forgotten person in the, in the deal. I absolutely loved Rand Paul's um, mini filibuster you know, he basically said the Emperor's got no clothes and his fellow Republican senators were very angry with him for doing that. Mike Lee was a hero. Justin Amash and Thomas Massey are my two favorite House members. And, and, you know, because they actually just tell the truth. It's not like they're, you know, it's not like they're able to accomplish a lot because they are in a minority. But boy, they just stand up and tell the truth. And that is so unusual that it's courage, you know. And, Mm -hmm. um, but the Tea Party is defunct. But a lot of these guys who got elected in 2010 and 2012 and 2014, um, Tea Party was the fashion of the moment, so they put on the Tea Party a tricorn hat and grabbed a musket and posed. And then, when you know things changed, well, then suddenly they were a Donald Trump Republican or whatever. And you know that's just politics. I think we should expect that. I think. Um, I think there's always hope. I think uh, Republicans, unfortunately, are only fiscal conservatives and libertarian sounding when the Democrats are in power. Then they Mm -hmm. unite and they sound great, but when they're in power, they don't really do it. So, and we all know this. I mean, this has been a long, long-standing complaint. And it's, you know, it's a question of, well, what, what the heck do you do about it? And I, for me, it's a question of trying to get them to do the right thing wherever you can, when you can, so applaud them for cutting corporate tax rates and simplifying taxes as they did. That's a good thing. They, they deserve applause for that. Was it revolutionary, as I said? No. But it's a step in the right direction. But also oppose them when they do the wrong thing, which is what they've done on, on spending of late. And I think that if the Democrats take control of either chamber of Congress in this year's midterm elections, which I think is quite possible, I'm I'm not going to predict it uh, because I've learned not to predict on elections. (laughs) Um, I think if it happens, you're going to see Republicans start to talk again in the right ways. Question is, will we get changes among the leadership of the Republican Party that move in the direction of a, a Justin Amash or a Thomas Massey? I don't know, we'll see. I'll, one more thing on the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. I was at Freedom Works, uh, as you pointed out, for several years and, you know, Freedom Works works is a Tea Party organization and I actually had the job of vetting political candidates uh, who wanted our endorsement or whom we wanted to uh, endorse or were considering. And I did discover that yeah, a lot of these guys are just I'll call them regular Republicans or Re- Reagan Republicans or just people who want to be in Congress and they would come in and they would try to talk the lingo that they thought we wanted to hear but you know we could we could tell because we would ask mm-hmm. them questions about yeah so uh, you know what do you think about uh, monetary policy you know what would you do with Social Security um, what do you think about uh, defense spending uh, do we have too many overseas bases too few or just the right amount what do you think about Edward Snowden <laughs> you know, and when they would when they would say, oh, Snowden's a traitor, he should be shot. <laughs> then, you know, I knew, OK, we're not on the same wavelength. You might not think Snowden's a complete hero, but you have to, in my opinion, at least be grateful that he called out the government on violating the Fourth Amendment rights of American citizens. Oh, Amen. So anyway, that's that's my answer to your question about the, the Tea Party. We're we're in a an awkward phase. There's always hope for the future. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens in November. Um, I think Trump has kind of pulled himself out of the ditch somewhat with his tax cut bill and um, good economic news, you know, mostly. It's not 5% growth, and I don't think it's going to get there with these policies. But he's got some hope. And the question is, what do we, uh, who are liberty minded, what do we want to do to try to shape whatever outcome there is? And I don't know, know. maybe I'll, I'll ask you that question. What do you think we should do?
0: Well, I mean, uh, this this is actually, I'm, this is kind of a great segue, Dean, into a question I, I wanted to actually, I guess, shoot back to you. And it's I'll, I'll preface this question with um, a comment that, uh, it's actually a tweet that Eric Erickson had made. Um, Eric Erickson, formerly of uh, Red State, I think he's at the Resurgent now, um, where he basically pointed out that in the past 50 years, the most fiscal sanity that we've we've seen as a nation was during the 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 last portion of the Bill Clinton administration, where you had uh, Bill Clinton, a Democrat, as the the executive, and you had a Republican-controlled House and uh and Senate, where we we had Republicans who were a- actually had to act on on fiscal responsibility and fiscal conservatism, who were controlling the purse, and it was forcing the executive, if you wanted to actually get a budget passed, to Uh, rein in some of his his more liberal uh, fiscal policies so is it is it rough is, is it wrong to say that it might be a more fiscal um i guess a fiscal win for fiscal conservatives to have a a liberal or democratic president with a united states senate and u.s congress controlled by conservatives who actually control the purse do you think that that's a reasonable expectation or a reasonable uh i guess political goal or is it i mean we've watched over the past uh year and a half now with a a control of the presidency and of the senate and congress by republicans that that hasn't yielded that so is is it wrong to maybe hypothesize that having a liberal president being uh in check by a conservative fiscal conservative congress might be a a better alternative
1: Yeah. yeah i mean you know we always come down to well do we want this person or that person in the white house and usually we'll say oh that person's a big liberal we don't want that person i mean we who we who believe in you know freedom and limited government but but you're right as a functional matter divided government does seem to work better than unified government and i actually have a pet theory about that i had actually not thought about this in years because you know uh, we've had uh, united government uh from time to time, and it's actually been problematic, but the goal always seems to be, well, you know, if we could just get Republicans in everywhere, boy, then then we'd go to town, we'd really clean things up, and it just hasn't worked out that way, but you're right, uh, when Gingrich and company were in the House, I was a Republican leadership staffer at that time, so I know this stuff from personal experience. I was in a lot of those small rooms with Gingrich and uh, John Boehner and Dick Armey and the the those they were the rebels of that period by the way uh mm-hmm. not the establishment and and sure enough uh there were deals done and some of the deals were pretty darn good they did a balanced budget act which happened to come right at the same time as the dot com bubble was flooding the treasury with the revenue so we got a temporary um on budget surplus uh for 4 years yeah. and um We got a welfare reform bill that actually got rid of a New Deal entitlement that was really dragging a lot of people into a permanent life in the underclass, millions of people. We block granted that program and two thirds of the of the rolls went away. It became a, a program for the poorest of the poor. And it hasn't cost us a penny more over the subsequent 20 years. It's still $16 billion a year, which is exactly what it was in 1996 when Clinton signed the welfare reform bill. So that tells you something about block granting is it can save a lot of taxpayer money. But anyway, your point was divided government. And the answer is yes. And uh, but I don't want a Republican president and a Democratic Congress, because then I think you get what you had with Richard Nixon in the 70s, Mm -hmm. where you got really liberal legislation through. And I guess you could argue that he he made it, you know, he he softened the, the blunt edges. But I don't know. I mean, Nixon was not ideological. And so we got a lot of the left made a lot of gains then. And I'm sure they will if the Democrats run the Congress against Trump, because Trump is not ideological either. And uh, yeah, so but you know what, what do people who want freedom do under these various changing situations, I think they have to keep speaking truth to power like Rand Paul, uh, and others are doing. I think that you know, the the laws of mathematics don't change. So we can keep hammering on the fiscal conservative thing. And eventually, there's going to be a stock market collapse and a, a loss of confidence in the dollar on our current trajectory, this, this crash is inevitable. It's just a question of when, we don't know when, but it's gonna happen on our current path. We have to keep warning people about that. Um, if the Democrats get in and they go to town on spending, then I do think that the public might might start to be more interested in, in, um, in fiscal concerns again. But you know, we live in a time that is in some ways very dishonest. You look at Trump's budget, five percent a year growth. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, CBO, the Congressional Budget Estimators, you know, on Obamacare, they were way off on their projections, but they refused to change them as new information came in. Why? Because they were ideologically committed to preserving Obamacare. I mean, that's the only inter- interpretation I can put on their behavior. It was dishonest, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Either that, or amazingly incompetent. And so when you have uh, lots of dishonesty, uh, uh, on both sides of the political aisle, I guess the, I guess what I'm getting to here is, yeah, the most important thing to do is keep speaking the truth.
0: All right. So, um, that actually will lead a very good, uh, segue into my next, uh, I guess my next question, but next, uh, bullet point that I wanted to cover here as well. So, um, This network, the We Are Libertarians network, as you can, I I guess, assume by the name, has a lot of libertarian listeners. Uh, So with that being said, a lot of libertarians um, that listen to this show are are very principled, very ideological, and and I believe they're in the right uh, ideological frame of mind. The problem is, is that we have individuals in the libertarian uh, movement, and more specifically within the greater libertarian national party, um, who they haven't had success in terms of bringing libertarianism mainstream uh and and i guess the closest we've really had in terms of having a libertarian moment in uh the united states was last election um where gary johnson and bill weld uh received the highest amount of of votes than any libertarian uh presidential candidate ever um and i'd say before that maybe ron paul uh, back in 2012 running uh, for the republican nomination was the uh the closest to having a a larger libertarian moment so right now in in 2018 uh we have a lot of libertarian candidates who are still trying to run which i still think is a great uh venture i think libertarianism is probably the there's a study that came out more recently that showed that a majority of americans would self-identify as libertarians without having any titles placed on those views but as soon as they have their views identified as being libertarian, they, they decide to identify either as Republican, uh, Democrat or independent slash moderate. So I look at these libertarian uh, candidates that are running under the libertarian uh, party and I feel uh, hesitant in thinking that they have a chance in bringing these libertarian goals to a state and a national stage. Now, I know you You most recently uh, endorsed uh, Austin Peterson, who's running for United States Senate over in Missouri against Claire McCaskill. Right. Um, and Austin, who, you know, he came to fame on a national stage when he ran uh, for the Libertarian uh, nomination to be the, their presidential candidate back in 2016. Uh, he's right. changed his uh, identification to a Republican. So do you right. think that it is more feasible for Libertarians to... I don't want to say abandon the Libertarian Party, but to actually get Libertarianism into government and to actually have a, a voice in policymaking, would it make more sense for them to either register as a Republican, like Austin has, has uh, decided to do, or you know register as a Democrat if they are more Libertarian with regards to their social issues? Do you think that's a more uh, feasible approach to how to bring Libertarianism not only to a national stage that's a relevant uh, stage, uh, but also to
1: actually affect change going forward? the the short answer is yes. (laughs) You know, uh, you can only govern if you get elected. You can only get elected in our system as it currently exists, if you're one of those two major parties. Those two major parties are just shells, they're vehicles for getting elected. And uh, if you want your ideas to dominate and your kind of candidates to win, you gotta take over one of those parties and that party needs to win. You know, it's no accident that Ron Paul and Rand Paul are both Republicans when they're in office. Uh, It's because that's the only way they get into office. And if they weren't in office, they wouldn't have the platform to speak the truth that I was talking about. (laughs) Right. So. So, yes, Austin Peterson, whom, by the way, I worked with at FreedomWorks, um, Mm -hmm. he uh, he ran as a libertarian. And by the way, I I didn't follow that race too closely because, you know, I figured that whoever is nominated by the Libertarians is not going to win. But uh, I did think that I liked Peterson the best among the candidates. Um, I thought it was an odd convention with a naked man running around on the stage.
0: (laughs) Many over here in the libertarian camp would agree with you as well.
1: Yeah. And I can see why people, you know, I myself shy away from the label libertarian in most contexts. I, I call myself a decentralist. And I do that because uh, the problem with labels is, is they come to be uh, outworn or taken over by uh, meanings that were not intended originally. So conservative, liberal, and even libertarian have become terms that it's hard necessarily to know what you mean by them. So as I say, I I just say decentralist, because I figure if you decentralize, break up monopolies, both public and private, uh, you get a lot more freedom. And um, but uh, I think Austin Peterson is, is doing the sensible thing. He's trying to, in effect, take over the Republican Party of Missouri with respect to that Senate seat. And um, I hope he wins. And then he'll be another voice in the U.S. Senate. And the Senate is great because they've got so much power. Senators can hold up the works. In fact, I, mm-hmm. my yeah. criticism of, of Rand Paul and of others uh, like uh, Mike Lee and Ted Cruz is they don't hold up the works enough. There, you know, there's a I don't know, a desire when you get into power to be a nice guy and be liked and and even the, the good guys have this problem. You know, I think they ought to shut the place down more often. I don't mean government shutdowns, although I'm I'm not opposed to those, but mm-hmm. just shutting down the Senate and saying, you know, damn it. This is a lie what we're doing here. I'm not gonna be party to it, and I'm gonna use every power I can to stop it. We need more of that.
0: Agreed, and uh, I mean I I'm fully in the camp with you there, Dean. And I the reason I bring this up is because um, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention too much to uh, the Libertarian Party. Uh, I guess the the happenings as of late with regards to um, you know, the the ouster that was being uh, pushed to get their uh, vice chair removed for his um derogatory statements with regards to uh veterans and teachers and uh seemingly his his i guess tacit endorsement of uh pedophilia with regards to age of consent laws and and i mean as a, a guy here who i identify more in the libertarian uh philosophy i look at the libertarian party as a, a complete i mean crap show because when at the end of the day we need to get these libertarians elected and I, I want—I would love to see, I mean, in my ideal world, I would love to see um, the, the Libertarian Party replace either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. That's, that's an ideal world for me. The problem is, is that in the current state of affairs, as you mentioned, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are the best vessels to, to even attempt to win an election. Um, right. And to see the state of affairs within the Libertarian Party as it stands now, I am very, very hesitant and not very optimistic at all. Um, and I'm much in the camp as you are with regards to, you know, having Republicans get elected uh, or sorry, rather libertarians get elected as Republicans like Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Rand Paul, Ron Paul, et cetera, to actually then be the voice to bring not only some some actual power to libertarianism where they can actually affect change, but at the very least to be a voice of libertarianism on a larger stage that has some credibility. And I mean, you, you made a, a really good point there with regards to, to Ron Paul and Rand Paul. They are easily two of the most identifiable voices within the libertarian uh, movement, and there right. were, they were Republicans, <laughs> and they brought a lot of libertarians or Republican libertarians into the libertarian movement and, and also into the actual greater libertarian national party. So. Um I agree with you one hundred percent with that perspective and I think that's a perspective that a lot of the people in this audience should hear. Um, and right. Glenn Beck actually he just had a an article that was uh, was written with regards to uh, the actual happenings within the libertarian uh, the libertarian National Party and uh, he had a really great line where it's like if we want libertarianism to to get out of this um, you know third party status and to get out of the quote unquote, mental masturbation which I thought was a, a fantastic line because that's literally what libertarians seem to do they sit in these facebook groups and they they have you know the the i'm more libertarian than you argument and it's yeah. like well that that solves nothing that okay you won your facebook argument but now we have you know the likes of Justin Amash who's actually trying to promote libertarian ideals as a republican he's doing more <laughs> as a republican than you are as a libertarian in your facebook group but um, without going too often to the weeds on that, I did want
1: to um, to
0: take a well, step- before you oh, no, before you
1: leave, before you leave that Brian, yep. which is great points. I just want to make one point. I don't think the Libertarian Party should go away. I think it serves a real purpose. I do think it should you know try to not endorse pe- pedophilia or uh, <laughs> or have, na- have naked people running around on stage. I mean, I do I do think in politics that you know how you present yourself uh, is important, but um, you know, there are some races where having a libertarian candidate on the ballot is very helpful in trying to nudge the Republican candidate in a more libertarian direction. If right. he thinks Good that point. it's going to be a close race and he wants the votes of those people who would ordinarily just say, oh, I'm, I'm going to pull the lever, libertarian lever, then he's going to try to throw some crumbs their way or or better than that. He might actually move in their direction substantively in important ways. and. So I think the Libertarian Party does serve a purpose. I do agree with you that there has long been a, you know, a, a, a somewhat clownish aspect, uh, which I'm not sure how one solves. When the whole point of libertarianism is, you know, letting people speak their minds and think freely, and and in politics there's always this pressure to try to get people to shut their traps, you know, and. And, you know, it's I think it's an unsolvable problem. But I do think if the Libertarian Party cleans up its act to the best of its ability, it can continue to do well. As you pointed out in 2016, they did pretty darn well. And um, and that serves a purpose. It helps uh, drive the debate. But I do also think, as we've been saying, that ultimately you got to get a libertarians have to, to run as Republicans and get elected. Agreed. And you,
0: you brought up a, a nice segue point there in terms of unsolvable problems. Now, I know you, you have your own belief system and your own perspectives as it pertains to um, gun control rights and and gun rights. And it, with the shooting that took place there on Wednesday in Parkland, Florida, there's been a lot of misinformation uh, that's been spread around, spread around, not only by, um, you know, activists within the the gun reform now movement but also uh within greater media circles for instance um there was a initial report that the shooter um from the parkland florida shooting was uh, a part of a a white nationalist group and was trained by white nationalists um reports came out from all the sources it's actually from uh, now this which is a very liberal leaning um news organization Uh, they actually debunked uh the mainstream media promotion of this notion that the guy was from this white nationalist group, saying is actually a four chan uh, trolling, and they were you know saying we're going to make these these uh, national mainstream media outlets think that this this guy was a white nationalist, and then they were bragging afterwards saying, see how easy it is to to manipulate the media, and I think right now after this shooting, we have a lot of misinformation, we have a lot of um, sensationalized viewpoints in terms of how to uh, I don't want to say fix, but how to uh, to at least address these issues, and I went through a very uh, in-depth inter- uh, interview last week. I guess it was on Thursday. It feels like it was last week um, with one of my my friends who was a you know a very diehard liberal in terms of how he would fix air quote fix the gun control issue. Um, so I want to to get your perspective, Dean, in terms of I guess where we are as a country with regards to uh, you know mental health, gun issues. How do we? Uh, solve this going forward is there a way to solve it? Um, so based on your experience not only uh, you know within your, your Washington uh, experience but also just your experience in, in politics, how do we address this solution going forward?
1: Wow, yeah um, I think that uh, these these shootings really um, give the gun controllers and the socialists, you know, they they seize on these. You know, Barack Obama pops up every time and says, "Well, we just need common sense gun safety laws," and of course that's a euphemism. What he wants is to confiscate everybody's guns. He can't say that because it's it's not politically popular to say it. But that's what he's thinking, and that's what uh, a lot of these people are very angry. And whenever there's a shooting, it's it's natural to become angry. I become angry, but they immediately rush to how do we get rid of everybody's guns. Now they, 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 they just talk about, well, we need some gun reforms or we need gun control, but they don't actually wanna solve the problem because when you start saying, well, you know what? 99% of us who have guns never shoot anybody with them and we have a natural right to defend ourselves. And we also, by the way, have a constitutional right enshrined in the second amendment to have guns for our defense. Mm-hmm. And that is, in fact, an essential pillar of liberty. That is, say, to limit the government, you got to be able to shoot back occasionally, if (laughs) necessary. Yep. And so they want to define the problem as the gun. And I think we have to define the problem as the shooter. And a lot of these shooters are crazy people. And some of them are terrorists, jihadists, or what have you. The whole question should just be, okay, how do we keep that person from shooting a gun? And we've got more gun control laws than you can shake a stick at. In every state, every jurisdiction, we don't have a lack of laws or rules. Um, The question is, is there some flaw in the existing system that lets a crazy person, have an AR-15 and a bunch of other guns and ammo and magazines and go shoot people. And I'm not sure that there is an answer. Um, the left says, well, gosh, these other countries don't have all those mass shootings, and, and America does. And I haven't looked into it closely enough to, to, to probe that. I always question their, their assertions of, of fact on these things. Maybe you, you know, have better information than I do. But I think the point is we have to narrow this problem down to the person pulling the trigger. We have to defend our rights. Um, the public does, I think, want to see the shootings not happen, and rightfully so. Uh, so we, cannot, we, we, we must never seem like, we, well, we just don't care. You know that it's, For us, it's just an abstract right uh, thing. You know There's human beings involved. They need to be protected. One thing I would do as a practical matter I would let teachers carry guns. I would let them mm-hmm. shoot back. And if a bunch of them had had guns in Florida, I think this guy would have been, you know, shot down before he had killed uh, so many people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means you've got to repeal the federal uh, Gun-Free Schools Act. By the way, I, I like to divide our country into two areas, uh, gun-free schools zones and school-free gun zones. Just kidding. <laughs> so, I, we we need more gun zones. We need more people actually armed, uh, not fewer. Agreed. My...
0: I agree, and actually, that's um. We in my last episode, we we kind of uh, alluded to this, where um there was a, a report that came out that showed that ninety eight percent, it's like ninety eight point six percent of all uh, shootings take place when they're in public shootings in a gun free zone. Um, and I think <laughs> that touches exactly to the point you're making there, Dean, with regards to we need um you know the the ability for people to to shoot back and I think you know the the, the notion that well bad people are going to do bad things that's a, a realistic notion if they're going to break a law and kill somebody then they're going to break a law to obtain weapons um, and I, I I I really I wish I had brought this up in my last episode with my uh, my very liberal friend um, but I forgot about this article back from January twenty fourth um, from USA Today where it said um, a, a young person in the U- United States is nearly 11 times as likely to die in a swimming pool than in a school shooting. And I really think that, and in, I I, po- I reposted this on Twitter and I got lambasted by the left on Twitter saying, well, you know, uh, you're just, you know, this statistic doesn't really help the people who die. And I say, I agree. But we need to have perspective when you have this major push after some tragic event to enact new forms of legislation that are going to violate American rights so let's let's look at this objectively and truly try to think okay how can we quote-unquote fix this and I don't think that uh, like as you mentioned taking more guns away from law-abiding citizens will will solve that now with that being said one of the biggest pushes that I've seen uh, as of late to try and get some new talking point onto the table from the left is that well an AR-15 is a military-grade weapon and you know just the average citizen shouldn't have access to a military-grade weapon. So to that person, what would you say to them, Dean?
1: I would say that's, that's silliness. Um, what does that mean, military-grade? Does that mean it's a machine gun? Well, an AR-15 is not a machine gun. Uh, an, an AR-15 is an object of hatred for the left simply because of its appearance. Mm-hmm. It appears, you know, it's like in the movies, you know, it looks tough. But it's a gun and it's in a principle no different from any other gun that you might see and um, the country by the way has a consensus against machine guns in private hands there I mean there are people who own them legally but because of the tax they imposed back in the 1930s and various laws and restrictions it's kind of hard to to own a machine gun and it's you know it's socially frowned upon and um, I'm not sure what the exact laws should be on that but I certainly don't think we should ban guns based on their appearance. And uh, by the way, I do think maybe we need swimming pool control uh, based on your, your <laughs> statistic. You know, um, that seems like a much more urgent uh, public health issue. But I don't know. Uh, you, you tell me, Brian. I mean, what what do you say to the AR-15 grabbers?
0: I mean, I think it's a, it's honestly, and I again, I'm going back to my old podcast from uh, Thursday. I honestly think that a great push there on the left with regards to you know this, this notion now, and this new narrative of military-grade weapons not being in the hands of, of your average citizen, it honestly comes down to an ignorance with regards to um, guns. And I, I say ignorance not right. in a, a you know mean or derogatory sense. I mean it in truly the left does not understand about the basic functionality of guns they look at you know uh, uh, AR15 or they look at um a a I mean you name the the weapon they look at a gun as a scary object that should never be in the hands of someone because it can kill someone and they look at the the big black gun with you know the, the the pistol grip that you can grab onto and they think that this is some scary weapon that only uh, police or or military should be having access to but they don't understand when they hear the word semi automatic that means that it's not you pull the trigger and seven hundred bullets spray out in a minute. It means you pull the trigger once and one bullet comes out. They see the word automatic and they all, they instantly think it's it's some yeah. you know, devastation yeah, weapon. That,
1: that's a classic example of unfortunate labeling, and mm-hmm. maybe we need we we may need a new term besides semi-automatic um, because it does sound it sounds like automatic. Yep, exactly. And one thing that
0: I and this is a good segue into my next uh, point here is that i hear a lot of people on the left as soon as these tragedies happen their their immediate reaction is to say we need to do something where if we don't do something we're all complicit in in this happening again in the future
1: right, and i always would right.
0: say okay what what should we do and what policy would would prevent this from happening in the future now to that i always hear the the response well we should have a gun ban on ar-15s or we should have a gun confiscation from from people or we should have mental health checks for people who obtain these weapons but then when we look at the fact checks it turns out in all yeah. these various uh, examples that either a um the person illegally obtained the weapon and they should have had based on the laws that are already in the books or b right. they were flagged as being a potential threat and the fbi or the various government agency dropped the ball as that turns out to be right. the case here in parkland and If I look here on the right, I actually see some people trying to, quote unquote, do something. So there's a a new um, House or H.R. bill here that was proposed by uh, easily one of the best libertarian uh, congressmen we have, Thomas Massey, um, which is it's H.R. 34, uh, which basically it's um, the Safe Students Act and the entire point of the bill is to repeal the gun-free school zones act of the 1990s and i think you know that's actually a valid solution to this issue and and it goes back to the point you made about we should have more guns in america and more guns for the the people that are potential victims so they can shoot back so i i'm looking at this whole issue as you know we actually have some people on the right that are presenting a, a do something opportunity but it's being hit on the left because of, I think, this deep-seated desire to take away the American right to to bear arms. So, if I could, Dean, what's your perspective on, I guess, not only uh, this, this bill that Thomas Massey has presented, um, but also with regards to, um, you know, yes, arming more teachers, arming a citizenry so they can defend themselves?
1: Well, I... I I love the Massey bill. I saw it on Twitter the other day, and I had not heard of it before, and I I read it, and I said, of course, that makes perfect sense. Let the teachers carry guns. I mean, under the existing rules to make sure that crazy people and and criminals uh, aren't getting these licenses, but um, uh, I think it makes perfect sense. It's obviously very uphill because, you know, uh, gun-free schools, I mean, that label is very hard to fight, just like when you're dealing with semi-automatic, you're you're having to educate. And then as we're talking, I'm realizing ultimately this is an educational challenge. People have to learn. One of the th- ways they could learn, by the way, is if they actually handled guns and shot guns and and learned not to fear guns quite so much. You know, so some kind of gun safety training uh, everybody ought to have access to. And and that might help a bit. And but uh but this legislation is great and uh i'm sorry what was the other one that you mentioned uh,
0: the, uh, the for you... the the bill so basically the bill is twofold um
1: it would number one uh be no no, made... no not oh. not what the bill does but but you mentioned two things you said the gun the the, the massey bill and oh and then um i guess
0: and you you did touch on, on the beginning of your your response there is um do you think i guess a reasonable solution um, to, you know, the the quote-unquote do-something action is to have a more armed, a more educated populace.
1: Oh, yeah. Can, okay. Okay, so in a sense, I've already answered yeah. it, but I, I got confused, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, so um, more education and, and getting the... Basically, more people have to be um, allowed to be carrying in public places, including places like schools, because... That makes it harder for the crazy people and the criminals to get away with it. And the criminals are going to calculate and think, well, it's too risky. The crazy people, you're never going to be able to stop entirely, you just, you're just you not going to be able to. But you can at least try to shoot back, as we've said, uh, when they do. And, um, but oh, I know what I wanted to say, additionally, ultimately, we also need to view this through the lens of the Constitution. The Second Amendment really is an important thing and, and and not just the Second Amendment. All our rights under the Constitution, the the, the ones it recognizes, um, you know, we don't get our rights from it, but it recognizes certain important rights, including the right to defend ourselves. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the argument is we have to always focus on people have a right to defend themselves against these crazy people so that we focus less on the gun and more on, um, more on the you know, shooter. The, the, yeah, more on the shooter, and also more on his victim. You know, the mm-hmm. victim ought to have a gun too. And the fact is, the Second Amendment is there, so you can defend yourself, and so you can defend your liberty. Amen. And We should talk about both of those things.
0: Agreed. And, and one thing I think uh, going forward would be a really great tool um, for for those on the the right in terms of trying to help educate, but also for those on the left to, they themselves become educated with regards to guns. Um, Steven Katowski, who's a, uh, a phenomenal um, gun advocate on, uh, on, if you go to the Free Beacon, um, he's a great staff writer, but he is a, I would say one of the top uh, people I would reach out to for issues so regarding-
1: can you repeat the name
0: yep steven uh gutowski um and you can follow him on twitter it's at Stephen gutowski and he actually just retweeted um a a google doc that he has made that is a phenomenal um a phenomenal resource for those on the right to help educate those in the left in terms of what um the issues as it pertains to guns uh, what the verbiage means um, to give them accurate statistics and he actually made it a point to make um, this, this gun reporting resource as non-political as possible. Um, the goal really is to help explain terminology, to give relevant statistics, um, to give what the current laws are. And then the best part is that he has gone through and he has uh, done footnotes for every single um, fact or piece of information he has laid out. So it can be it can be verified, fact-checked, and they have this as a resource to make sure that people are, are both not only in the, the media, but also people who are arguing either in for uh, in favor of or against gun control advocacy, we can all at least have some accurate information. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a great resource. It's a great yeah. Google Doc. Anyone
1: can access it. Um, so I really think that that's a, a yeah. phenomenal uh, that's, tool. That's, yeah, thank you for that. I will uh, download that. That is a wonderful service to just gather the facts in one place mm-hmm. where the citizen can say, aha, oh, now here's the truth about this situation yep that's a wonderful thing
0: and i think it's it's um it's really helpful too and i mean there was a, a daily wire piece that came out after this shooting um that was in response to the allegation that was pushed by like the likes of abc news um that basically said that this is the 18th shooting that we've had here in 2018 and it's it's like no this isn't the 18th school shooting this is this is uh, n- nothing of the sorts actually. And they went through, you know, line by line, showing exactly you know what was being classified as a quote unquote school shooting, and it was you know an ask accidental discharge of a weapon um from someone like in the parking lot, and and somebody who committed suicide in their car on a school parking lot. Like Uh-oh. these aren't school shootings. I think that really that is where those on the right they yep. they plant their flag on this this notion of fake news and. I mean, that right there, I think it was a crown jewel example of truly what is being viewed as fake news and how misleading and manipulative that statistic
1: was. And that stat went viral, saying it was the 18th school shooting. I saw it, too. And at first, I didn't even think to question it. Only after a while did I think to myself, wait a minute, we're only in February. How could that be? Mm -hmm. I would have heard about these shootings. Yeah, exactly. And that's why
0: I think, you know, to have because I think as conservatives and as libertarians, we want to defend our positions and we kind of get we root ourselves in the um, the philosophical and the ideological approach to why we believe what we believe. Instead of actually saying, Okay, you know what, let's let's arm ourselves with verifiable resources that are irrefutable, they're fact checked, they're based in in statistical evidence, let's go ahead and use this. And I think like I said, Stephen Kotowski's um his is nice uh, google doc that he established as a credible source that's not it truly is nonpartisan. i went through it last night and looked at everything in there there's nothing of the sort that would lead you to believe that he wrote this with a a you know pro-gun uh, stance and i think that's really valuable for us when we're trying to engage those in the left to educate them with truly fact-based um statistics
1: you know, that is that is so true. And I as we're talking, it occurs to me maybe really what what we have to do in this age of social media where the you know, the lie can be way down the road while the truth is still tying its shoelaces mm-hmm. is we have to all become fact checkers. We can't just wait for the professional, you know, self proclaimed fact checkers who are often liberals. Um mm-hmm. To, to tell us what's true. And, of course, that we also have the responsibility not to just believe everything we happen to see on Twitter or Facebook. and Because, like, that 18, 18 shootings thing, at first I thought, you know, I, di- I didn't think to question it, but I should. We should all be very skeptical of these claims until they come from an authority we can really trust. And, but we ourselves should be fact-checkers. And when we get that information, like this Stephen Gatowski's paper on gun facts, we should spread that far and wide. The internet enables us to do that and educate our fellow citizens. I think that's, that's a great, that's our hope, I think, is that kind of education. Mm-hmm. Agreed, and
0: indeed, uh, we are coming up here towards the end, so I just wanted to, uh, I guess, just give you a platform. Is there anything right now that you're working on that you're really passionate about that you would love to plug to the audience, or is there anything um, you know, that, through our conversation that you really just want to make a nice big final point that you want to address?
1: Well, I think, um, um, to quote, a a brilliant fellow, um, there are simple solutions, just no easy ones. (laughs) I wonder who that is. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder who that is. Actually, I stole that from Ronald Reagan, who I think stole it from some other person in the past, (laughs) but it's, it's true. There are simple solutions. You just, it's just so hard to get them done and you got to persuade people. But in terms of final note, um, There's so many things that we can do to make uh, America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. And, you know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of that. I assume, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love Mm -hmm. and, and for the cause. And that is exactly what we have to have. So everybody, you know, do that. And... Follow at Dean Clancy on Twitter and and um, and see what I have to say and I'll I'll try not to pass along any fake news. <laughs> Shame, shameful plug there, I
0: love it. Well, uh, Dean, I really I appreciate you coming on today. I know it's a it's a Saturday. There are probably a million other things you'd be looking to do instead of spending it on a, a libertarian podcast. But I, I do really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to speak with me as well as my audience and to uh, to really bring your expertise to the table. And, uh, you know, hopefully, the, like I said before, the goal of this show is to educate, enlighten, and inform. And, uh, man, I, I feel like we really – we had a great conversation today that really accomplished that going yeah. forward. so um, so uh, as always, yeah, absolutely. And as always, folks, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at B. Nichols Liberty. And uh, as regards to the, uh, the Patreon, uh, feel free to uh, subscribe and make a monthly co- contribution if you can at B. Nichols Liberty to help us keep producing this content, um, these great interviews. It's always wonderful to have. Uh, the types of guests we have. Um, and as always, please feel free to uh, to share today's podcast um, to either family, friends, to help us get the message out there and always uh, rate us on iTunes. But Dean, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on today. Thank you so much and uh, enjoy sunny uh, Florida here on this beautiful Saturday. Oh, thank you, Brian, and, and keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. Until next week, we'll talk to you then.